is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, September 6, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. Taylor Schwenk is working back in Connecticut, so are Bruce Baldwin and Sarah Abbott has returned. Sarah, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you. It's so good to be back. I had quite an eventful vacation, but I'm so happy to be back in the swing of things. Well, you took on a hurricane, and we need to explore that a little later in the podcast, if that's okay. Yes? <laughs> yes, definitely. All right. I'm Buster Only. I'm working from my home in Montana, and I want to open today's show with some thoughts about uh, Chris Mortensen, who announced on social media yesterday that he's stepping away from ESPN. Uh, he has been an amazing teammate. People don't know about Chris because they, they know him um, pretty much through his football reporting that at one point he was a baseball reporter. He covered the Atlanta Braves. He is a great guy, incredibly helpful. In my time at ESPN, you know, from time to time, I'll get a, an email from him with a tip, some thoughts, uh, you know, some, some perspective. Uh, and he's been nothing but positive in all the time that I've known him and, I'm sure that, uh, you know, great days ahead for Chris as he uh, moves into the next chapter of his life. I just want everybody to know, just an amazing teammate. Uh, In Arlington, Texas yesterday, the center of the baseball world, because we're seeing this series between the Astros and the Rangers. It felt like a fight for the top of the American League West as the series began. And right now it feels like an absolute wipeout. Nathan Avaldi made his first start for the Rangers yesterday off the injured list, his first appearance in about five weeks, and Jose Altuve absolutely crushed him in his first two plate appearances. Avaldi working from the first base out of the rubber delivers, and Altuve rockets one deep to left field and sends back Grossman at the wall. Looking up, see you later! Leadoff home run for Jose Altuve, the 35th of his career. And the Astros are up one to nothing. And Altuve drives this one out to left center field. Hit pretty well. Going back on it is Tavares at the wall. See you later! A home run in the first, and now a home run in the second for Jose Altuve. His second straight multi-homer game. And the Astros' lead is 4 to nothing. That was Robert Ford on KBME with those two calls. But uh, Altuve was not done even after Evaldi left after an inning and a third. This one's walloped to center field. Back on it to Veras, and she's gone! Third home run for Altuve! Yeah, three home runs for Jose Altuve in the first three innings of last night's game. Home runs in four consecutive plate appearances for him. Career homers number 205, 206, 207. The Astros win this game 14-1, to and after the game, Altuve talked about his three-homer game. It feels really good, obviously, you know. Uh, homers are not easy to hit, but uh, thanks God I got a lot between yesterday and today, and it could, could help my team to win. It's fun, you know, it's fun winning. It's fun when we score a lot of wrong and, and make good uh, plays out there. Just keep going, man. Tomorrow's another day. The reeling Rangers send Max Scherzer out to the mound today to pitch against Justin Verlander. These two guys are teammates for a long time in Detroit and then with the New York Mets. Future Hall of Famers will pitch against each other for the first time. Now, as that was going on, the Seattle Mariners were in Cincinnati. Uh, They actually had a lead in this game. Cincinnati came back, and then this is what happened in the bottom of the ninth. 
Swing and a bouncing ball through the right side base hit. Here comes De La Cruz the plate. Here comes the throw. Not in time. Reds win it 7-6. to six. That from 700 WLW. So to review, you had the Astros win, the Rangers lose, the Mariners lose in Oakland. The Toronto Blue Jays face the Oakland Athletics, and the Blue Jays took care of business. The 0-1. Springer hits it right back up the middle into center field. A base hit. Biggio scores. Espinal races towards the plate. First to third for Kevin Kiermeyer, and it's 3-0 Toronto. On their way to a 7-1 win, that from Sportsnet 590, the fan. As of Wednesday morning, the Jays hold one of the three American League wildcard spots, as do the Rays and the Mariners. The Rangers at the moment are out of the playoff picture, which seems absolutely incredible. We got word, by the way, yesterday that Shohei Otani uh, continues to be out with an oblique strain. We're going to have more on him later in the podcast. The Yankees are resurgent, and Giancarlo Stanton in, uh, in Yankee Stadium hit a milestone on Tuesday night. Swung on and ripped the left center field and deep. It is high. It is far. It is gone. That ball went over the bullpen into the crowd, and those are Garrett Cole's runs. Giancarlo, a Stantonian home run. And that was John Sterling on WFAN. The Yankees continue to play well. They're back to 500. They win that game 5-1. to one. Stanton spoke with the Yes Network after the game. That's pretty awesome, um, you know, especially uh, how the year's gone for me personally, you know, um, not how I would have uh, liked or prepped for, but um, I'm glad I was able to do something cool like that. Um, you know, I was just trying to make sure I have good at-bats, and uh, it definitely is going to come eventually, is, is the thought. The Twins and Guardians fighting for the top of the American League Central. The Twins uh, basically blew out a close game in the top of the eighth inning. And the 2-2 line drive, center field coming on, is not going to be caught. It's missed by Straw. It rolls behind him. That's going to roll all the way to the warning track. One run scores. Two runs score. Three runs will score. Solano's going to make third base. He breaks it open, and the Twins lead. Corey Provis on the Treasure Island Baseball Network. The Guardians now seven games out of first place. In the National League, the playoff races, the Phillies were blown out in San Diego. Meanwhile, the Brewers took on the Pirates. It took control of the game in the bottom of the fifth. This is hit pretty well out to left center field. Palacios going back onto the warning track at the wall. It's off the top of the wall in the notch in left center. Freelich is rounding third. He's going to score. Monasterio on his way to third, and he's in there standing up with an RBI triple. That from 620 WTMJ, the Brewers win the game 7-3 in Arizona. The Diamondbacks and the Rockies, and this was a big moment in the game for the Rockies on their way to a 3-2 win. Charlie hits this ball to center field. Carroll's got it, and his throw toward the plate is not going to be in time. So Charlie comes through with a scoring fly ball. The Rockies up 3-1. to one. Yeah, it was Charlie Blackman, of course, that from the Rockies television network. The Cubs and the Giants, they were locked into a close game. Bottom of the seventh inning, it was 7-6, to six, and Christopher Morrell blew it open. Morrell drives one in the air, deep center field. It's got a chance. Gone. Three-run homer, Chris Morrell. Listen to this place. Matt Hughes and the Cubs radio network. Cubs win 11-8. As of this morning, the Brewers lead the Cubs in the National League Central by two and a half games. And in the National League wildcard race, the Phillies are a game and a half ahead of the Cubs for the number one spot. The Cubs are three games ahead of the Reds for the second wildcard spot. 
The Marlins are a half game behind the Reds. The Diamondbacks a half game behind the Marlins. We got word from Dodgers manager Dave Roberts on Tuesday that Clayton Kershaw's shoulder continues to bother him. And Julio Arias has been told by the Dodgers he'll no longer travel the team until his domestic violence case is resolved. I said on the podcast yesterday that I'll be shocked if he pitches with the team again this year. Taylor, what else you got? Well, Stary, I think we should let Sarah promote the Bill Barnwell show today. I'm probably catching her off guard right now, but... I mean, I would love to promote the Bill Barnwell show. We're we're recording today. So NFL season is here. So make sure you check out Bill Barnwell show. He's doing a mailbag episode today, and that will be available tomorrow morning wherever you listen to podcasts. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash buster. Just go to indeed.com slash buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, I'm Bikides. Of course, works as Mike Greenberg's right-hand man on the show. Get up. Hembo, how you doing? Buster, no one has a better life than I do. But my favorite part of the week, every week, is moving myself away from Aaron Rodgers, moving myself away from Dak Prescott and all the other quarterbacks and talking baseball with you. This is the actual, this is the actual dream job. So I appreciate it. Which is sad because I was actually going to bring you back there. I was going to ask you legitimately, he doesn't actually believe that the Jets are going to be successful this year, does he? I think he wants to believe it. And so by speaking it into existence, I think he thinks it'll manifest in the standings. But we all know that the Jets are going to collapse in some sort of calamity like they always do. And that's how this story ends in in, in a very predictable sordid tale right uh, i think uh bruce is a mets fan will testify you know uh, and uh any san diego padre fan this year would testify 
You could throw a lot of big names together, but that doesn't always mean it's going to work out. And that's where I feel about the Jets, you know, especially with Aaron Rodgers at his age. So we'll uh, we'll see where it goes. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you know, you and I went back and forth on a list of topics. Let's talk about the Dodgers. You know, the other day we find out that Julio Arias is, uh, you know, under investigation under Major League Baseball's domestic violence policy. I said on the podcast yesterday, all you have to do is look at the calendar and know that he's almost certainly not going to pitch again for the Dodgers this year, let alone what the Dodgers are thinking about having a player at a second, you know, potentially second domestic violence uh, or suspension of the d- domestic violence policy. Uh, we also got word yesterday from Dave Roberts, the Dodgers manager, that Clayton Kershaw still continue to have shoulder issues. So what are we looking at with the Dodgers pitching right now? I think this season just sunk the Dodgers' chances of of getting to the World Series, Buster. I, I really do. Now, let me just start by saying that the things for which uh, Julio Arias is alleged to have done are despicable. And what matters most here is the humanity, or in this right. case, the lack thereof. Goes without saying. But look, this is a baseball podcast, and people are going to naturally jump off from this news to kind of forecast what the rest of the Dodgers season might look like, and for good reason. Right now, what I see is a team with a starting rotation with literally one person that I trust, and that person is Bobby Miller, who's never pitched in the postseason before, because we know Clayton Kershaw is not operating at full strength. We know that we're not likely to see Urias um, the rest of the season, and while the Dodgers do have an outstanding bullpen, especially over the last couple of months, there is just no way that they can get 27 outs nine times in order to get to the World Series with this group as presently constituted, especially considering the lineup just lacks the depth that it has had in in past years. For as great as Mookie Betts and Freddie Friedman have been at the top of that order, it's going to be a multifaceted thing in order to win three playoff series the way that they're formatted now. I I think the Dodgers' chances were on life support as recently as a couple weeks ago. I would be stunned if they could get to the World Series given the constitution of their starting rotation at this very time. Well, and I think the Atlanta Braves of 2022 were a great example of this, right? Where they had a terrific regular season. They came back. They overcome the Mets in the National League East. They have a great lineup top to bottom. And as they went into the playoffs, Mac Freed, if you remember, was ill. And Charlie Morton's stuff was kind of flattened out. And Spencer Strider apparently was dealing with an injury of some kind. And they were quickly out of the playoffs. Uh, I mean, that, that team kind of reminds me of the Dodgers this year. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, it does. It makes a good bit of sense. You're facing the best lineups in baseball. You need at minimum to have a, a, a reliable group of starting pitchers that can get you through the order twice. Like Just to be able to pass the baton to the bullpen, the Dodgers don't have that. The Dodgers are going to have to piece together games in game one of their playoff series. So that... That's really the concern that I have if, if I'm if I'm Dave Roberts. And look, they'll probably have the bye. So they're, they're probably going to be in good shape from that standpoint. You're effectively banking a playoff win, right? But even so, I think they're going to have a very difficult time navigating the best lineups in the National League with the starting pitching they have right now. All right. The team, I think, that has gotten the least amount of attention in the podcast this year uh, relative to their, to their success, the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, <laughs> who, of course, are led by Craig Council, their manager. Tell me about his genius. So. A couple of weeks ago, a buddy of mine, um, uh, a rabid Baltimore Orioles fan, just asked me at random, who do I think the best manager in baseball is? I, I think he wanted me to say Brandon Hyde, of course. And I gave him a list of a handful of people that I thought top of head were probably the best people based upon what our expectations are and generally how their teams outperform. 
But I said to myself, you're a professional sports researcher. You should have a good answer to this question. So I looked it up, Buster, and naturally the answer that I yielded was Craig Council. And here I think is the best way to demonstrate his genius. I think this is astonishing. So the Brewers own a winning record in one-run games in every season since 2017. That is seven straight years. And over that span, Milwaukee is 172 and 115 in those games. Buster, I'll rephrase it. The Milwaukee Brewers are 57 games over 500 in coin flip games over a seven-year period uh, during Craig Council's tenure. He started a little before then. But for the purposes of this discussion, I think that's the best way to demonstrate. Look, we know in baseball, like the, the manager has much less impact than he has in other sports. That's clear and obvious. So it's difficult to quantify this stuff. But generally speaking, if you're consistently outperforming your run differential and you're consistently winning 60% of one run games, you are ma- you're out managing the the other your your counterpart on a consistent basis. That guy does that as well as anybody because it's not obvious to me that he's had supernatural rosters to work with, but the way he manages those bullpens, the way he fills out that lineup card and over the course of 9 innings, he manages those games as well as anybody in the sport. And interestingly, he's a free agent at year's end. He's not under contract past this year. We know that David Stearns, uh, you know, is in conversations with the Mets. Maybe he heads up baseball operations there. But one way or another, uh, you you do wonder if, you know, if uh, if David Stearns winds up with the Mets, will they pursue him? Will some other team pursue him? I think he's got one son who works, uh, you know, in Minnesota. Does that mean he's he's going to be comfortable moving to another team? I I don't know. I I think Craig Council's free agency in the offseason is one of the underreported stories in the sport. Uh, The team that's chasing the Milwaukee Brewers, the Chicago Cubs, have turned around their season uh, shockingly with offense. Uh, You know, I've mentioned the podcast a couple of times. I can't remember examples of teams going from having bad offensive to having great offenses in the middle of the year in the way that the Cubs have. Why? This lineup has been magnificent for nearly three months. So so June 13th is just the arbitrary endpoint I'm going to use here. But since then, the Cubs are averaging 5.9 runs a game. Only Atlanta has outscored them over that time. That's the what. The question, of course, is, is how. And the answer, Buster, is that they have created what I'll call an assembly line, like few other teams can. Over that span, again, they've scored 41 more runs without homering than any team in baseball. And they have scored 11 more to out runs than any team in baseball. In other words, what they've done there is, is create a lineup of selfless hitters that don't necessarily need to leave the yard to be productive. Now, we know the most efficient ways to score runs in baseball is to homer. But if you don't have a bunch of guys that can do that, the Cubs have the next best thing. And the run scoring diversity with which they can win games, in my judgment, is an extremely valuable entity in October when you're facing the best pitching staffs, the pitching staffs that can suppress the home run ball. They can manufacture runs and beat you three to two or six to four in multiple ways. It's not just Cody Bellinger, and it's not just a home run. They've been effectively a league average team in terms of leaving the yard. They manufacture runs in key moments better than any team in baseball. Like my college coach like uh, used to like to say, good pitching and timely hitting. The Cubs are the best timely hitting team in baseball and have been for nearly three months. And they are arguably one of the two or three best defensive teams in baseball, especially in the infield. Extraordinary group. So does that mean the back of your mind is we're getting closer to making our picks in the postseason? You're thinking about picking the Cubs to shock the world. The Cubs absolutely could could do damage in the postseason, and they they very well may draw the Phillies in round one, which is going to put me at a conflict between my head and my heart. But the Cubs have all the attributes of a team that can make a run. This is a long period of time in which they've been great 
offensively. They marry their pitching and their defense as well as any team in baseball. They play great at home. They just have all of the attributes, Buster. Like, this is a team that is absolutely on the come, and just merely looking at the standings it does not tell the full story because this team, like you said, has evolved so much throughout the season. Like, what we see a team, um, what we expect a team to be at the beginning is very rarely what it looks like at the end. And the evolution with which this team has has played this season and the way that they have adapted to these rules changes so adroitly makes them, I think, a really live, like a really live competitor to challenge the Braves and the Phillies in the National League pennant race. Well, Eduardo Perez and Carl Ravitch and David Cohn and myself, you know, we uh, we're going to be doing a one of the uh, wild card rounds in the playoffs, and we've talked about the possibility of a Cubs Phillies matchup. That would be phenomenal. What a mm. fun series that would be. All right. Uh, one of the teams left behind by your favorite team, the Philadelphia Phillies, the New York Mets. Uh, and it's interesting. Last weekend, I had a conversation, talked to with Justin Verlander for about an hour about a million different topics. And one of the topics we we hit on was Pete Alonso. Uh, and, and he talked about, you know, from his perspective, because he read all these stories about, you know, Pete Alonso not being good in the clubhouse, blah, blah, blah. And, and I, think Bert, I think Justin's scratching his head in the same way that I am, because I've spent time with Pete. Uh, and people are asking the question, you know, will they it, will he be better off trading him in the offseason? I would say this. I think that the fact that the richest owner in baseball and Steve Cohen did not reach a contract uh, agreement in the spring with Pete Alonso tells you that the team and the player are very, very far apart in their perception of what his actual value is. So tell me about Pete Alonso and, and what the Mets strategy should be with him going forward. The Mets should trade Pete Alonso this offseason. And I don't say that because I think Pete Alonso is an overrated player. I don't say that because I think he is not a good uh, member of the clubhouse because I think both of those things are the contrary. Yes. I just live this. I live this with Ryan Howard. And you can't compare players apples to apples. But I do think there is something instructive about comparing these two profiles just as a cautionary tale. Right. Ryan Howard and Pete Alonso. His, both college players, historically great in their first five seasons at generating home runs and RBI. Like traditional back-of-the-box score stats, these guys would be, by, you know, by the standards of yesteryear, absolute superstars, fan favorites, the kind of players that they, people love talking about because the numbers are so easy to recite, homers and RBIs. But Pete Alonso's like, process-based stats just haven't really improved his swing decisions, his strike zone discernment. We know that he adds no value on the bases. We know that at best he can fake it at first base, right? We're talking about a player who just can't really add value in the margins. And so if I'm going to pay, let's make up a number, $200 million for a middle of the order impact bat over the course of this player's 30s, as it will be in his case, because he'll be 30 when he becomes a free agent. Buster, I want to know for sure that he has old man skills. I don't know for sure that Pete Alonso has old man skills. If, you, if your on-base percentage is something like 340 over the course of the first five seasons of your career, what you're telling me is you're going to have to hit 40 home runs a year for you to truly be able to retain that kind of value. And so you're relying so much more on getting the barrel to the ball and much less on the process. That scares me. I could easily see Pete Alonso falling off a cliff, similarly to how Ryan Howard did, perhaps not as pronounced, because of course, in Howard's case, it was the Achilles injury that really did him in. But I like using, look, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And these are two players that remind me a lot of each other. And I would be awfully cautious in paying Pete Alonso effectively a one-trick pony, an awful lot of money, given the fact that I don't think the aging curve is going to be so friendly. I would say this, you know, that whole question just hit it head on about whether or not he's in the clubhouse. He, uh, Pete's a good guy. Like Pete is a very earnest guy. He really cares. Like I couldn't believe the controversy a couple weeks ago 
when, you know, in the midst of a bad game and, you know, a play that wasn't made, uh, he threw the ball in the stands of a kid who got his first career hit. I know you saw this. And he got so much criticism in the media. And Justin and I were talking about that. We're like, why, why was that? A, he clearly didn't have an awareness. He apologized after the fact. I know him well enough to know he was mortified when he found out what he had done. And he went to the kid and apologized afterward. But I don't Stuff gets hung on Pete in that way that I don't understand. So we'll we'll uh, we'll see w- what uh, the Mets do during the course of the offseason about uh, signing to a long term deal uh, or potentially trading him, as you say. Shohei Otani uh, was in the news again yesterday. Uh, he was out of the lineup. The Angels haven't given us the information about the about the degree uh, severity of the oblique strain that he has. They took a team photo yesterday. He was not present. Uh, they had to Photoshop in somebody into his. Uh, they're going to have Photoshop somebody into his place. They had somebody stand where he's going to stand going forward. I-, I must say, I mean, there's no doubt that a couple storylines have developed around Atani during the course of the year. First and foremost, he's the most talented player in baseball. Second. He really is kind of on his own thing. Like he does his own thing. Uh, and some of the standards that are within a, the, the Angels uh, you know, team framework don't really apply to him. For example, you know, Anthony Rendon got criticism this week for, again, not speaking with reporters. And when I read this, my reaction was, wait a second. Anthony Rendon gets criticized for this, but Shohei Otani never speaks to the reporters or hasn't spoken to him since he had his uh, injury. What what makes Rendon that much different than Otani? It feels like it's something that's just uh, you know part of the Angels' culture. What'd you make of all that? I think this is pretty clearly just the application of double standard based upon the fact that one of these people is the chosen one, the the global icon that is the face of baseball that everyone is supposed to know and love. Like we know that you know Babe Ruth had ghostwriters and people that covered for him his entire career, right? Like baseball writers have a long tradition of doing these kinds of things. Whereas Anthony Rendon is playing on this ridiculous contract is I think almost intentionally um, this way and so easy to criticize. Look, at, at, at the end of the day, like we should probably apply the same standard across the board. And Otani, def- there's definitely been some sort of odd noticeable things that you sort of point out or a red flag but in the end he's teflon i'm very curious to see how his sort of free agency and his court yes. is handled because that's a fascinating element if i'm going to invest half a billion dollars in somebody as we have discussed uh, on this podcast many many times there's some things i need to know for sure and what i don't want to know for what i don't want to think is that this is the guy that's going to do his own treatment have his own people have his own media plan like that like he needs to be a part of my program if I'm going to build my organization around this person, I can't wonder if he's going to show up for the team picture or an event around him or or for you know for training uh, in a team facility or things of that nature. I'm not accusing him of nefarious behavior. All I'm saying is that just because Shohei Otani is Shohei Otani does not make him impervious to criticism for acting in a way that nobody else would uh, be, you know be excused for, for lack of a better term. That's kind of how I see this. It's kind of predictable, but honestly, it's not something that we should totally ignore. Well, and I do think it's going to be part of the discussions of some of the teams that are going to p- talk about pursuing him the whole question of boy are we just going to defer to this one player uh in a way that we don't defer to other single players ever like i you know i've been we have talked a lot about the atlanta braves culture in this podcast i don't think there's any chance the braves would bring a player in and they would basically say hey you can do what you want you can conduct your business with the way you want to uh because we just think you're a great player i just don't think they operate that way and i don't think the dodgers will either we saw this happen with brett Favre. Uh, i mean look you're an nfc north right. uh, fan right brett Favre did this and he took Lightning enormous fan. criticism yes. for it. Right. And for good reason. Like that's especially considering that 
a team is going to have to effectively make exceptions all around you because you're playing these multiple positions. You're this unicorn, right? Like you're the face of baseball, but that means I have to make roster exceptions. That means players are going to be shuffled up and down. Like a whole team needs to effectively sacrifice to have me on my team, on this team. I need to know for sure that he's going to at least meet me halfway. That's not too much to ask. And if I'm going to fork over half a billion dollars, I need to know that up front. Thanks, Hambo. Later, friends. Get out of here, Hambo. Sick of Hambo. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Eduardo Perez is an analyst on Sunday Night Baseball, and of course he played for years in the big leagues. And this uh, particular day, September 6th, is an important day in baseball history that is connected with you. Do you remember what this day is? Oh my, I have no idea, but I am now anxious to find out. It is the anniversary of Cal Ripken's 2,131st game that he played in 1995 on September 6th. And you were there as a member of the Angels. And uh, a few weeks ago, actually found video of you shaking hands with Cal as uh, he did that whole victory lap during, I think it was the 21-minute delay. It was exactly 21 minutes, I think 31 seconds, matching the consecutive games that he had played to that point. Tell me about that moment uh, in Camden Yards. Surreal. Surreal, to be honest with you. And I think it started just when we landed in in, in Baltimore. We saw how the fan frenzy was all about. The, the fans were going nuts. But most importantly is we get there and they're like, look, there's a limit on tickets. This is what it is. There's more, there was security, the president more, security was more security because the president was there. And I was like, I just want to get in the game. So I'm sitting on the bench watching this whole whole thing happen. And then as soon as we get to the mid part of the fifth inning. Which is when his game became official. His appearance at number 2131 became official. So in the middle of the fifth inning, after he played the top of the fifth inning, the game is stopped to honor Cal. They roll out 2131 on the side of the, the warehouse in Baltimore. And you can take it from there. Yeah, I, I, that's, it's, I'm telling you, it was unbelievable because we're like applauding the whole thing. And then we see him being pushed out of the dugout. Like, go take a go take a lap. 
go take a lap and high five everyone that's in the front row of between down the line and right field. But then he started going completely around to center field, bypass just the left field, stopped in center field. I don't know how he had the entire energy to be able to do all of that. And as he was coming down, I remember being right next to Orlando Palmero and Rod Carew. And Rod's telling me the entire time, the history, how much of a significance this is. And I knew, I was very much aware of. And he stops to shake hands with everyone down the line, Rene Gonzalez, he says hello to. And then he stops, he shakes my hand and then stops right there to shake Rod Carew's hand and and have a couple words with him. And you know, just seeing two legends and being able to be a part of history was was awesome to see as a young player at the major league level. Wow. It was I, September 6th. That's awesome. Yeah. And on top of that, I don't think people probably now understand the importance of what Cal did that summer to the game of baseball because they were the sport was just coming off the, the work stoppage. And I thought Cal was a figure of great credibility for the sport. And look, I, you know, I covered him for two years for the Baltimore Sun in 95, 96. I didn't have a great relationship with him, but what he did for the sport was incredible. I mean, just day after day after day, uh, you know, exactly what the sport needed in that time, it felt like. It felt like, and and when you're young, you don't realize how hard it is to put that uniform on every day and be productive. And Cal Ripken Jr. was able to be productive every day of his of his major league career and for me that was the most impressive thing and the more that time goes on as an analyst the more impressive it is and that's one record that i know for sure will not ever be broken yeah you led me to exactly where i wanted to go with that uh it's not only about you know the sport changing uh with the way that players rest i think it'll never be taken on I know from covering the Orioles at that time, they got really uncomfortable with it. And and I can't imagine in these days when front offices control so much rather than managers that ever any team ever allowing a streak like this to be ever be built again. Because by the end, uh, there were people in the Orioles organization were not happy with it. Well, I'll tell you what, it made the Orioles, I believe, a lot of money. It made the city of Baltimore a lot of money. It brought in tourism. There's a lot of effects that happened from Cal Ripken Jr. being able to go after the, the Iron Horses record and to be able to do it and do yep. it with so much class. Um, I'm, I'm glad he was, I'm glad he was able to do it. And I'm so ecstatic that I was able to be a part of it. Yeah. It, it was, uh, an amazing two days that uh, we had there. Cal hitting home runs in both of them. Next time I have you on, I'll tell you a story about Cal and the days that followed that. Uh, it would, it spoke to a lot about his work ethic. All right. So before we got started, you mentioned, you definitely want to talk about Malcolm. Uh, and you had a hand in Malcolm uh, gaining to what he referred to as his 15 minutes of fame when we got done our interview the other day. He said that to a group of fans who were standing right there. He said, you got 15 minutes when you get it. And he did for sure. And because you were the first one to go, Buster, go talk to him. Talk to him. And uh, we interviewed Malcolm the other day during the game in Houston. The video of that uh, moment when we interviewed him has gotten close to 10 million views on social media. So you got to tell your version of the backstory on this. That's crazy. First of all, you have to always be careful who you, at least, you know, we're going to send you out to go interview someone. But we, I looked at it from my angle and I saw a person that around all the fans were trying to protect, a person that everybody liked, 
a person yeah. that wasn't drinking. He was just having a good old time with his son and with the fans around him. And that's why I was like, Buster, you have to go out there and interview him. And then the security was looking for him and the fans around him were protecting him. They were like, nope, not around here. We don't know who it is. No one pointed a finger except the bitter beer face guy, three rows behind him. Uh, that That's what Coney called him. And lo and behold, he was upset, but everybody else was so happy for him. And then when he gets the security takes him out, he comes back and they all celebrate him. And I thought that was the coolest thing. And that's where I'm like, Buster, you have to go. You have to go. I, I was on the talk back with our producer, Andy, saying you have to you have to send Buster out there. And Buster, I mean, it was awesome the way he was holding on to you. He had you embraced. He had a son there that wanted to also speak. But it was just the follow-up questions. And when he said, and with a little bit of lust, baby, with all the emotions, you could tell it was genuine, it was authentic, and it was going to just grab everyone. And I am so happy that it's uh, it's close to 10 million viewers. And I think it'll continue to go up. As everyone that, the people that don't even know that I was at the game, they were like, have you seen what happened in Houston? I was like, I was there. I was there, but it was. You were laughing. I was laughing. So I was telling Summit yesterday, like it was so loud in the corner because the Astros were starting to rally a little bit, and it was so loud in the corner. I was hearing sounds from the booth in my earpiece, but I didn't know exactly what it was, and I, I I didn't even know if you guys were sticking with the interview. I thought maybe you guys were continuing, and they had shut off the audio because the way the interview was going. And so then when I saw you afterward, and you were like, you were just, we were just laughing like the whole time because his joy was so palpable and it was so pure. And I, you know, and finishing it up with his uh, rooting in a Kansas City Royals hat for the yes. Houston Asteroids. Yep, the Houston Asteroids and Houston loves me and I love Houston and it was just perfect. Oh, it was so much fun. Uh, look, I, I walked away and I know it, it, it sounded weird the other day when you were and I were uh, in the Uber going to the airport to say that a team that just got swept by a club under 500, the Yankees, it felt like the Astros are ready to take off. And I think that's manifested the last two days because they got Michael Brantley back. They got some guys back healthy. Jose Altuve apparently is healthy. Five homers in two games. I think they're going to ride this all the way into the postseason. They are the team to beat in the American League playoffs. What do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I said it. I said it post-game. Um, I remember being interviewed in Sports Center by, you know, and, and uh, SVP asked me, who do you have? And I said, look, the Houston Astros. They got swept by the Yankees, but the Houston Astros are the team. And it all starts with our leadoff guy, and that's Jose Altuve. If you can control Jose Altuve, he Jose Altuve is just as important as Ronald Acuna Jr. to the Atlanta Braves. If Ronald Acuna Jr. can hits, he creates havoc on the bases, he creates havoc with his bat, and he ignites that offense. And Jose Altuve has been able to do that the last two days in Texas. He was able to do that before the, the Yankee series, missed it because of the foul, foul ball on his foot, went over in that game against the Yankees, and that's why the Yankees won. If Jose Altuve would have been productive, it would have been a different story. He is their, he is their offense, getting Michael Brantley back. That helps. That elongates that lineup as well. The pitching has experience. And I think this team is built for the postseason. I believe that for the first 
last four and a half months, they were a very bored team. And now they'll do what they do. They're a team built to play in October. So I, I you know, people sometimes will translate when I, and I've said the similar things about the Astros and how hard it is to push the rock back up the hill every regular season. Uh, and, and that long six months becomes difficult. People will translate that as well. The players don't care. No, they care. Yeah. That, they, they care a lot, but they played in so many meaningful games at the highest level in the world series that, and I think anybody who was honest about their own work and their jobs, that's just the way it is. Yep. All of us with our jobs, you know? We're not going to be as jacked up for a game in spring training as we would be for the playoff series. It looks like we're going to have maybe Phillies against Cubs. That's just human nature. Yeah, and, and just look at it in, in any sport, any job, uh, you see that. That is, as you said, human nature. This is... And you're seeing the energy right now, for example, from the Baltimore Orioles, a team right. that is young, a team that has been able to defy a lot of odds early on in the season. And now, even without Felix Bautista, uh, even with a lot of pitch restrictions, they're able to go out and compete and play because of the energy they have. You could say the same thing with the Cincinnati Reds, two young teams that are actually over-exceeding all expectations that, that we had for them this year. All right. So what are you seeing in the Texas Rangers right now? You know, we uh, talked all year about their experience. You know, Bruce Bochy, Hall of Fame manager, takes over. They got great pros, Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager, and they are absolutely collapsing. Yeah, they're collapsing, and and it, and, it, and it's tough to watch. You know, at one point it was when Evaldi went down, it was Dane Dunning that had taken over, had done a, a really nice job of being able to get give you innings. Uh, he's now back in the bullpen. Yesterday, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he had to throw like 97 pitches had to come in for Nathan Evaldi that only went an inning and two-thirds of work. Uh, but it, it it all stems from now that they're back in that five-man rotation, how's that bullpen going to react? And how are they going to be able to, to piece it together? And, and that's been the biggest question uh, with them. Can they hold? Um, can they hold other teams? I think that there has to be more accountability on the offensive side of everything. Adolis Garcia the other day hit a walk-off home run, but before that, he was struggling offensively. Uh, the offense is not swinging the bat like they were early on in the season, and that takes pressure away from the pitching. So it, everybody talks about pitching, but I think in this case, it's the Texas Rangers offense that has to be able to take care of their pitching by getting leads early and not trying to play catch up from behind. The first four innings are really important. First time around the order. For the Texas Rangers, they have to be more productive than the, what they've been in the last month. Yeah, Max Scherzer on the mound again today against Justin Verlander. I also think Eduardo that they need to play clean games. You know, yeah. Corey Seager has made two big defensive mistakes in uh, critical moments the last two days, and you know that certainly has to turn around. Uh, I mentioned the possibility; it's beginning to look like that we're staring at a potential series between the Phillies and the Cubs if the Cubs don't overtake <laughs> the Brewers for the National League Central. That would be an amazing series, Phillies and Cubs. That would be an unbelievable series if you can get the Phillies and Cubs. The way that those two teams have played, the way that the Cubs have been able to just have be really good at situational hitting. Uh, late in games, Christopher Morrell is a great example of who they have been late in games. They take advantage of mistakes. Yesterday, it was a fly ball, routine fly ball in the seventh inning. I don't know what Jock Peterson was doing in left field. He should have been out of the game by then. He had already had his at-bat in the seventh. They had the lead 6-4. There was no reason for Jock Peterson to be there. You bring in defense for him. Instead, they leave him out there. The Cubs tie the game on a home run, and the next fly ball hit by Jaime Candelario is, is, is a routine fly ball to left, and he just misjudged it completely. Left field is 
in Chicago is one of the toughest places to play because there are no lights behind the outfielders. I've said this so many times for so many years. What you see of a resemblance of a ball hit high up in the air is almost the resemblance of half a moon. And if you don't pick up the ball well, you're going to lose it. You take your eye off it, you're going to lose it for that instance. And that's what happened to Jock Peterson. Um, Gabe Kapler learned the hard way. As good as you're, as good as you play matchups on offense, you also have to play matchups on defense. And um, they lost it. And then that's when the Chicago Cubs were able to score a total of six runs in yesterday's game. This is who the Chicago Cubs are. They take advantage of moments like this. They pitched better this year. Steele has been phenomenal this year. Could be, I think right now he's the front runner for the Cy Young Award in the National League. The way that he has pitched and how he has pitched. Picking up for Marcus Stroman, who's on his way back as well. So this is an interesting dynamic of a Chicago Cub team that has really played well. Cody Bellinger has has done what he's had to do, but Dansby Swanson has brought in a little bit of like that uh, Atlanta Brave mentality. Vanderbilt. What are you? What are you? you you're, oh, you're okay. Yeah, you the most important. <laughs> no, I thought you were gonna bring the Vanderbilt energy. You the know, Commodore that... energy. The right, Commodore exactly. energy. Exactly. Come on. I want to say the Atlanta Brave energy because. Players are accountable in Chicago right yes. now. They're playing uh, They're playing baseball. And it's not like I need a rest or I don't. They understand how important this is, not only to the Cubs, but to the city of Chicago as well. Well, it's interesting. I didn't mean to ask you this, but it kind of leads into the next topic I want to talk to about culture. I, I did some uh, Outside the Lines yesterday, and I talked about I asked the producers, uh, I said, look, I, I know the Braves have a lot of power. They have a deep lineup, but they also have an unbelievable culture of the players holding each other accountable and, and, and with humor and rooting for each other and how unique that is. Uh, you know, recently there was all the stories about the Chicago White Sox and the bad culture that they have there. And I remember just sort of reading the details of that going, that's not about like the leadership of the team, Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn and Pedro Grafol, who you've known forever. That's about the players. Like when you read a player say, yeah, there was a guy who was asleep in the, in the bullpen during the course of the game. My reaction when I read that was, well, then wake him up. You're his teammate. Yeah, that's, <laughs> right? that's. And, and was, so, yeah, go, but I, I just like, no, the culture. And I thought Brian Snicker, when I asked him about the Braves culture, when we were in San Francisco a couple weeks ago, I said, what's, what's big about the culture? Where does that culture come from? He immediately goes, the players. And I think he's 100% right, Eduardo. It, it does come from the players. Look, when I heard Kenyon Middleton say that about one of his teammates in the bullpen being asleep, it actually spoke more ill about himself than and yes. the rest of the guys in the bullpen than it did about the coaching staff or the organization. It yes. spoke about the players. You have to be accountable. I learned from Lenny Harris early on. I learned from Chili Davis early on, and this is while I was a major league player. I also saw it in the club, clubhouses when I grew up where I saw really good culture, and it all starts and stems from the players. Nobody ever looked at a coach. Nobody ever looked at a manager and said, oh, this this is on them. No, it's on the players. The players have to hold each other accountable. If there's somebody that's not hustling down the line, I'm not going to wait for the manager to take him out of the game. I'm going to wait for him in the top step as a player, as a teammate. I'm like, that's not the way we do things here. You have to nip it in the bud right away. If you allow young players, I think there's a misunderstanding sometimes now because, and, and I don't agree with the hazing and everything, 
but there's a misunderstanding. Let's make these young players feel comfortable at the major league level. The problem that we have here by making them feel comfortable at the major league level is that we're also afraid to meet them at the top step and let them know what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. And I think this this is all on the players. This has nothing to do with the organization. Now, yeah, the organization at the lower levels, when they don't know what they're doing, they right. should establish a brave way, a cardinal way, a Yankee way. You do that. You show them how to be able to play and be a big leaguer. But for that to happen, guess what you need? And I might sound old school here, but you also need guys that have played and have been taught at the major league level how to be able to hold each other accountable. You can't just bring in the most inexpensive, knowledgeable data guys and say, this is what we want you to do. This is how many sliders we want you to throw. This is how many at-bats we want you to take here without knowing how to be able to play the game and behave when you get to the big leagues. And it doesn't always have to be old guys. I think you would agree with me. Ozzie Albies, to me, is one of the best teammates that we see in baseball now. Through humor, he holds teammates accountable by calling to light. Hey, you know, you stood at home plate and that ball hit the wall. What what are you thinking right there? But but Uh, Ozzie... But Ozzy had Freddie. But right. Ozzy had Freddie. And when there was a little bit of animosity, and we heard it a couple uh, last year at the beginning of the season when Freddie went to L.A., it was with the Acuna situation. Remember all that? And maybe he was hard on Acuna here and there. But look at the way Acuna plays the game now. Yep. And, you know, so there's he plays it hard. Because they were hard on him early on, he understands that that's the way you should play the game. And moving forward, he'll now be able to tell that next young player how to be able to play because he's walking that walk. So along the same lines, uh, Anthony Rendon has gotten a ton of criticism uh, in the media in Southern California for his responses, uh, you know, and and basically not being available uh, to answer questions. And when I read the most recent example where he walks out, and I'm not condoning what Anthony Rendon did, you know, no obeling glaze as he walks out, it's a guy who's got a huge contract. Uh, he's an important player on the team, and he's not being accountable with his injuries. But my question was, when I read it, was, wait a second, Shohei Otani, he doesn't answer questions at all. And why is Anthony Rendon getting more scrutiny than Shohei Otani, who hasn't spoken to the media since he hurt his elbow, and let's face it, in the best of times, has only addressed them once a week. I don't think that's a great situation out there either. Yeah, because Shohei Tani has 44 home runs, and he's 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 been protected by the Angels. And, and to some degree, I think you'd agree with me, like when you have a dynamic where some players being held to account by the media and others are not, that's not a great dynamic either. No, it's not. It's not. And uh, people tend to look the other way. And and the, what I would have come back with Anthony is like, no hablo inglés. I would have been like, perfect. I'll interpret them. Or let's find an interpreter for you because we need to talk to you. Uh, look, this is a guy that signed for seven years, $245 million. He signed till the year 2026. That's it's, it's hard to watch. And look, I think he's upset also that his body has not been able to respond. There's not right. one player that just wants to sign a contract and say, okay, I signed my contract. Now I don't want to play. He's disappointed that he hasn't been able to show a lot of power this year when he was playing. He's disappointed that his body has failed him. And what, what else can he say? He's not on the field to give you any news. And that's hard. It's hard also to not be able to have Mike Trout on the field when there's no structural damage, yet the pain tolerance right now is not there. He wants to play, but he's in pain. 
And some guys can play in pain. Some guys can't. Some guys don't understand if they can hurt themselves a little bit more, if they're playing in pain or not. But who are we to really question that? What I can tell you is, yeah, probably he handled it wrong because he doesn't want to face any of the questions. But I've seen these players play, and they've always had integrity, and it's just it really sucks. That's the word when your body just fails you. Thanks for doing this, Eduardo. Uh, I look forward to this weekend's game. It should be fun. And a little bit of lust, baby, and a little bit of lust, as Malcolm says. (laughs) Thanks, Eduardo. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. We got to talk to Sarah Abbott first. She survived a hurricane. Um, she had a lot of yeah, adventures. What happened with you and the hurricane? I imagine you and Jim Cantori, my fellow Vermonter, you know, standing in the storm, holding it off. What happened? All right. So vacation started strong when I got pickpocketed and they told, stole my phone and wallet. So that was really fun. And then we decided, let's go to Disney to make everything better. Right. And then we got a phone call that the airport was closing and that we're going to be stuck in Florida for an extra four days. And wow. there was a hurricane on the horizon. And luckily we were staying with my parents. So we went back to the house to find everything completely boarded up, which was great. Um, and then we just had like a movie day all day, basically. It was pretty low key. Watched Cocaine Bear with my grandma. And that was quite an experience as well. So. <laughs> See, today's kind of a crazy day, so I'm going to have to cut it off there. But I need to hear more about watching Cocaine Bear with your grandma. You know, with that and the pickpocket part, there's so many elements, threads to be grabbed on Friday. So uh, we'll get into those then. That's a world-class tease right there. If, if yes. you, yeah, if you don't listen to the Friday episodes, yeah, check it out. We'll we're gonna we're gonna Tara has, Sarah has some tales to spin here. Uh, let's yeah, do- and when you tell it, you need to tell it with Sarah Lang's on. I want to hear see her face as you talk <laughs> about watching Cocaine Bear with your grandma. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, let's talk tweets. Simon Harrow writes in, Buster, don't you think it's a shame that in fascinating pennant and wildcard races, we have interleague games with extended playoffs? Shouldn't Major League Baseball return to separate schedules? Best wishes from Hong Kong. That's mostly the reason why I included this tweet, because uh, I don't I don't agree with the sentiment at all. Um, well, and, uh, you know, hello to Hong Kong. My daughter actually mm-hmm. just started a year abroad in Japan. Yeah, and so getting all kinds of pictures from that part of the world. Uh, yeah, I'm with you, Taylor. I, I totally disagree with this. I'm like, look, the, the league, it, you have 30 teams in the league. You have 15 teams in each league. You're going to have interleague games. That's just the way it goes, which is why we're looking forward to expansion. Two more teams. Nash Vegas, baby. Yes. CS Cody the Blind writes in, we talk about baseball greats all the time, but I'm curious, who's the most average player of all time? Who comes to mind, Buster? Well, I mean, right off the bat, you have to go with the Mendoza, it, like Mario Mendoza, uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the 200 batting average. Uh, and then I'm trying to remember, I think it was George Brett who once referred to the guy, anybody who's hitting below Mario Mendoza, it said a lot about you. And then Jessica Mendoza sort of took that on, like the Mendoza <laughs> line, you know, yeah. and, and she owns it now. Let's go to Adam Capuan Piatoni. He writes in, why isn't Justin Steele getting more love as a Cy Young candidate? He's tied for... The lead league in wins, second overall in ERA by half a run. The Cubs have won 19 of his 26 starts. He's only thrown three less innings than Snell, seven less than Strider. He's got a better whip than Snell and is .09 behind Strider. The Cy Young can't just go to the pitcher with the most strikeouts, right? 
Uh, yeah, and I'm going to correct you, Taylor, a little bit here. You said by half a run, it's actually 0.05 oh, runs. Pardon me, yes. So they're really close. Uh, look, I I think it's kind of wide open in the National League. I think the person who wins is whoever finishes best among the three that you've mentioned. Last one for today, Van City Red Sox fan at DJ Beef Thief writes in, uh, Buster, is it safe to say that the – uh, Raggins for Chapman trade was the most lopsided trade this season so far. Is it Raggins or Reagans? Yeah. Did I, did I Reagans. It's Reagans. Cole Reagans who right. has thrown 21 consecutive scoreless innings, and you don't think that uh, the folks on the Rangers staff look at Cole Reagans, left-hander throwing 100 miles per hour, dominating all the hitters he's facing, and think, yeah, we could use that right now. All right. That's it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. We'll be back on Friday with uh, Sarah's Tales from the Hurricane, as well as your tweets and Carl and Sarah Langs, Todd Radom, all that. Maybe a player. We're efforting a player right now. Exactly. That's it for today. My thanks to Eduardo, Hembo, Bruce, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.